you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 64 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers and encouragement, for your support. Those of y'all who are supporting me on Patreon, thank you so much at patreon.com slash Baker. That is such an encouragement to me. Well, I've got a 10-song album that is right about to be out called The Wanderer, which will be available on iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify, Amazon, all those places. And I want to share with y'all a brief uh, excerpt from one of those songs. It's called Sunsets Over Palaces. From the shepherd fields And poured oil upon my head I saw giants fall on battlefields And kingdoms filled with dread He fed me in the wilderness Put a song upon my heart He taught me peace and heaviness How to sing into the dark Well, that was Sunsets Over Palaces off my uh, upcoming 10-song EP, which will be out any week now. Uh, Thank you all again for those prayers. Well, today, I've got a great guest, a special guest for you all. His name is Tim Power. And it's somebody, he's someone I respect so much because he's someone who's so passionate about the truth, living in accordance with the truth. He's someone who discovered the anti-Nicene writings several years ago. And he's going to talk about how those completely transformed, helped transform his uh, approach toward the Bible and approach toward life, approach toward um, Jesus being his Lord and what all that means. And I think y'all are going to be so blessed by this episode, this very honest, honest uh, testimony from my, my friend, Tim. 
Well, if you are blessed by this episode, I want to encourage y'all to uh, leave a rating or a review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Doing so will help others be able to hear this content and, and pick up on Reclaiming the Faith a little bit more easily when they search for it in iTunes. Also, in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can find it on Amazon. And uh, if it's a blessing to y'all, please also uh, leave a rating and review, and that'll help me out a lot. And all of that can be found at philsbaker.com, so please go check that out. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any kind of questions about what I talk about on Reclaiming the Faith or what BDK discusses or anything on the Fourth Watch Radio Network, please feel free to, free to email me at email philsbaker, or you can email BDK. You can find his stuff at omegafrequency.com. And... Uh, and please go check out fourthwatchfilms.com so you can see the amazing documentaries that the Fall Brothers are putting out, like the new one, Higher Entities, that I did an interview with uh, Justin and Wes Fall, Chad Riley, and Darren Geisinger uh, a couple weeks ago. Please go check that out. All right, well, the early Christian writings that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase at scrollpublishing.com for a mere $5. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get episode 64 rolling. All right, well, Tim Power, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, it's just, sure. a, it's just something I've been looking forward to for a while, and I'm glad I got you to be able to do it. Do yeah, interview. thanks, Phil. I'm honored, man. I'm humbled, too, so I appreciate you and all your passion and really just what you've done with the podcast and stuff. I've listened to a bunch of the episodes and just really good, man. I appreciate your uh, tenacity and, and uh, all the work you've been doing. Hey, man, thank you so much. Well, just to kind of get things rolling, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? A yeah. Bit about your background. Cool, man. So um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, actually Danvers, which is north of the city, and then uh, went to art school in Boston in the 90s. So 94 to 98, I went to a college called Mass College of Art, big art school up there in Boston. And I lived in the city. And um, and then I was brought up Catholic, but uh, never really dug into the Bible much and kind of avoided church and all that kind of stuff. And I went through catechism and communion and all that kind of thing at the Catholic church. And, uh, but I never really bought into the concept that a book could be some source of life and direction and life and salvation. I never really bought that and, um, went through a series of pretty humbling experiences really young. Uh, I had like a number of different friends die, uh, kind of in a weird way. Uh, one of my buddies got hit by lightning when I was um, 18. Yeah, I just, and, they, and it was interesting because he was um, not like us. Like we all partied and drank and did all sorts of stuff. And he was sober, but he always hung out with us. And we'd go skateboarding and surfing and hiking and, and trips to Boston. And he was just such a good guy. And so when he, when he died, it kind of shook me. Mm. And it was right before I went to freshman year of college. So I basically spent my whole freshman year doing artwork about like lightning and mystery and all this stuff. And it's like, no one had an answer as to why that happened. I was like, Oh, it was coincidence. And that just happens. And I, I just never bought it. I never bought the coincidence story because this guy, Rick was such an influence in my life. He taught me how to skateboard and 
that ultimately got me into the school I went to. And it just kind of altered my, my whole world that I, uh, took it much deeper, I think, than a lot of other people. And I was on a quest for answers. And so didn't find any answers my freshman year into the summer, a lot of more, a lot more humbling circumstances, went back to college my sophomore year. And the first night back, some guys reached out to me downtown Boston in Copley square and asked me what I thought about God. And, um, so I was pretty blown away to just be at this point in my life where usually I would have just made fun of people like that or kind of talked to him cause I was a nice guy, but I really would just have no interest in this time. I had been searching for answers. And so finally I said, you know, here, here's a couple of guys, let me just talk to them and told them the story about Rick told them everything that happened. And I said, what do you think about that? And, and they were like, you know, I don't really know exactly how God works in people's lives, but I, oftentimes I see in the Bible, God does certain things to be, uh, make a powerful example for someone else to then be impacted by or something like that. And I just remember for the first time being like, whoa, like so finally someone actually gave a reason to why this happened and in, in even brought in this like cosmic figure into it all. So it was very intriguing. Uh, they invited me to church. Uh, I just moved into my new apartment, so I didn't really have my phone number. Um, long story short, man, I gave him a, a, a number that it, my number spelt kill Sal. So I know this is kind of weird, but I'm, right when I left my apartment that night, my buddy, my roommate was like, hey, Tim, our number spells kill Sal. And I'm like, okay. And so I gave them that. It was K-I-1-1-S-A-L. You didn't need the 617 back then in Boston. Um, there wasn't enough numbers then, but you know. So anyway, uh, sure enough, a couple nights later, this guy, Peter Leung, called me and would keep calling me for the next six weeks till I finally went to his church with them. And, uh, and I was blown away. Like it changed my life that one Sunday in mm. October, 1995, just the, the people, black, white, Asian, young, old, everyone was singing. Everyone knew the Bible. I was sitting in between this like 15 year old and like a 70 year old. And the pastor, the preacher would like mention, you know, Thessalonians three or something. And they were like, and they would flip into the, the book. And I'm like, what is going on? This is crazy. You know? And, uh, people just seem so real and sincere and it, it, it literally just changed my life. I started studying the Bible and, and, uh, November 16th, 1995, I was baptized. And, um, so that, that really kind of freaked a lot of people out, Phil. I, I didn't come from that kind of world where you were, you know, chast and sober and, and had decent speech without swearing and not smoking and stuff like that. So I, I really freaked out my family and my friends and a lot of my buddies at art school, the teachers, the administration caused a lot of people to be really concerned at that time with me. And it honestly kind of fueled my passion for God more because I, you know, would read those scriptures about persecution. And, and honestly, looking back, I think I was kind of ignorant, you know, uh, quite a bit about things that I just sort of blew people out of the water, but I, I was sincere and yeah, man. So that, that's kind of how I got introduced to, to the Bible and things when I was 19. And then I, met my wife at the time through the church. She was in Atlanta. I was in Boston. We got married in 2003, had a couple of kids in 07 and 08, and then fell on some pretty tough times in 2012. Uh, well, actually throughout our marriage, you know, had over leveraged debt and bought multifamily property and just a lot of stuff, man, a lot of stress and no family for her up in Boston. Her family was in Atlanta and Texas. And so it just was a, a lot of, um, turmoil. And ultimately she went down to, um, Texas with the children. And that's what got me down to Texas in 2013. I moved down here to Dallas first for nine months. And then ultimately Austin, once I could take that leap of faith to move here by myself with, uh, a backpack and 
no car or nothing. I just took a rental car here with nothing, no place to live. And, and, uh, just took a leap of faith because I thought that was the right thing to do, which will bring us back to that later. Cause that was spurred on from the early church and some of the things I had learned, um, at some point <laughs> a couple years ago. And I'll share that in a little bit, but that's, that's my background in a nutshell. I now live in Austin. I, uh, help run a financial services tax planning, uh, company, and we just help a lot of families and business owners with uh, tax, setting up charities, giving and investments and making sure that they got everything in order with what they want and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing now. And see my kids, I got we're divorced and I got my kids, you know, a lot. We have 50-50 custody, but I'm with them all the time. And and uh, yeah, man, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, man. And, and you um, you did some prison ministry for a while too, right? Yeah, that's right. So when I first came down here, it was a little tricky because, um, when Rachel came down here with the children, it was sort of like, it was kind of, um, I'm super empathetic to her plight. And so I'm trying to, I want to try to speak uh, with her to her about her in the most utmost of light and stuff. But like, she was kind of looking for a way just, I think to start over. So I was a little bit put away. I was a little bit like put out of the family and her family and all that kind of stuff. It was really tough. Like, I would have loved to have been able to just come down here and have this great reconciliation and go get help. But it really just was only, there was only one of us really doing all the initiating, trying to make it happen. But long story short, yeah, she, uh, I, I didn't really have a lot to do when I was in Texas. And then I'd go up to Boston and I would mind my clients up there. Cause I had built a financial services practice up there over the time in Boston. And, uh, so yeah, man, when I'd go up there, I'd, I'd, I'd live with the followers of the way, which is a great church community. I love those guys so much. And then I'd come to Texas and I'd have nothing to do. So I started getting into prison ministry. And again, through the early church, I just felt called uh, by the Bible to be giving, going to prison and serving Jesus in that way. So I did it for two years, 2014 to 2016, uh, every Tuesday morning for two years, which was amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Like what, what were you doing there? Yeah. So I was going in, there was a, a ministry called God of hope and it was a really good ministry. Um, we would go through uh, the authentic man series just becoming an authentic man, um, which was actually really good. I, I actually learned a lot going through those tapes. Um, they were like DVDs or something like that, that we would go through and we would just learn, um, with the prisoners how to like, make up for a lot of the things we never learned because a lot of us were missing a dad or we didn't have good father figures and just like basic 101, like kind of the stuff that maybe like Jordan Peterson talks about a lot now, if you're into him at all, but like, but all from the Bible. Right. And, uh, so it was, it was pretty powerful. And then we do discipleship groups and, um, talk with the prisoners about the program. The, the challenge is I ultimately got kicked out of prison because I was, <laughs> I, I was, um, going in a lot deeper with the men because they all wanted to know the Bible. They were hungry for the word of God and wow. they were just very open and humble. Um, and they were really interested in my story because I could relate with them. Cause I was, my wife left me and she had the kids and I didn't have custody and she, she did all these things. And so even though I didn't bring up my story that much, I really could listen to these guys and we cried. We had an amazing time together, but, um, you know, when you start really teaching the word of God, um, there's so many people that come into the ministry and they just try to teach different doctrines about once saved, always saved, and some of these other things that personally, I just don't really agree with that. And so I would bring up different things and then it would get back to the warden. And then 
yeah, I basically, I got kicked out. So it was kind of, kind of a sad time. I would have loved to kept doing it, but you know, I, I, you can only keep yourself uh, quiet for so long before you start sharing the truth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you also were involved in some like working against child trafficking, right? Yeah. So one of my friends, Rick Naylor, again, when I was down here, I met these different people and I got invited to a Bible study group and Rick was there and, um, he became a great friend of mine still is to this day. And he was, he started a, uh, a charity of 501c3 called partners against child trafficking or PACT P A C T. And Rick's still doing that. He's doing a great job. We support him when we can. And, uh, he's really just trying to make workplaces here in Texas, um, aware that child trafficking happens like right before our eyes. And that in fact, Houston, where you are has, one of the biggest tra- trafficking airports in the country, if not right. the world. Yeah. So that Atlanta, LA, New York, but Chicago. So yeah. Anyway, so that was great. I did some stuff with them. We've, we've been to their annual events and things, but um, yeah. So that was awesome to be part of that in the beginning too. Yeah, man. Well, you've mentioned the, uh, the early church quite a bit and you know, that's a lot of what this, this show is about helping people um, get kind of, to get their toe into the water, uh, with with the early church. And so like, how did you first discover the anti-Nicene writings? Yeah, man. So when I was baptized back in 1995, we had, um, in the Boston church where I was, we had a, a publishing company called Discipleship Publications International. So I would get exposure to a lot of books from friends of mine that worked at DPI right there in Woburn in the very building I was baptized in which ironically my parents were born and, you know, brought up in Wolverine. So it's kind of funny. Hmm. But, um, so I remember when David Berceau's real heretics, please stand up book came out in 1995 and, uh, and a bunch of people in the church would read it. And I was never much of an academic growing up in once I got baptized, I went from basically a borderline pass passing student to a straight, a off the chart kind of, you know, honors student and stuff like that. And just, I don't know if I overcompensated or, was just so excited to finally read for the first time in my life, but I devoured a ton of books. Mm. So I would start re I read a bunch of early church stuff back in the nineties, but honestly the way our church was at the time, we looked at that and we were, we were, so we would read it. Okay. We would read about Justin Martyr and Polycarp and all these guys. And we would read the real heretics, please stand up. But what we would get from it, that what we would boil down, the essence of what we would get out of it at that time, Phil, was that these guys were radical for where they were at in the faith back then, in the society they were in. Therefore, we too should be radical, just like them right now, but under the way we are now in the society that we're in. So we kind of like took a pass on the real radical call to the following of Jesus' teaching which is really what the anti-Nicene church is teaching um, and the fathers are teaching as was Brousseau back then. Mm. But I think we just took our liberties and, you know, kind of spit out what we wanted to and chewed on what we wanted to. So I really didn't take it seriously until about 20 years later, back in 2014, when I was taking one of my trips up to Boston and one of my friends invited me to a debate between um, some it was the uh, Just War debate with oh, David Brousseau. You were there? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. So That's I, awesome. The chances of me being there were so slim back then because this was before I moved to Texas. Uh, wait, 
I was living in Dallas, not Austin. So I, I came back to God in 2012. Long story short, I'll just kind of jump back in. But like 2012, I sort of had a comeback to God and started digging into the Bible a lot more. And it was through that time I reunited with some old Church of Christ people. We started a Boston version of the church. And then Rachel moved down to Texas. And so we, we basically said, well, let's move down to Texas. And I didn't want to move to Austin and start a church there because it would have been right in their parents' and backyard. And they have a church here. So I went to Dallas with 12 other people. We started a house church. And then I was going back and forth to Austin as much as I can. And I was going up to Boston here and there to do a check-in with my clients. And so one of those trips, it was two trips in 2013. I'm sorry, 20, yeah, 2013. And one of those trips, um, in, sorry, 2014, the first, it was early, March of 2014, I was happened to be up there. My buddy's like, hey, if you're going to be up here, there's a, there's a debate this Friday. I know you're not here. And I'm like, I am here. I'll meet you there. So I had no idea, Phil. Uh, I knew David Brousseau's writings. I never met him. I didn't know who Dean Taylor was. And I had no idea who the other guys were on the it's okay to go to war side. a right. Catholic guy and a Protestant guy. So uh, just total crazy coincidence, though, I had been praying and fasting about leaving the church that I was in because I had started started reading some of the early church father teachings. Again, uh, one of those early trips, a buddy gave me the a bunch of Annie Nicene Father books. And so I started reading them on my own and I was preaching them on the sermons on Sundays. And it was one and then it was one of those trips I came up and I heard David Brousseau at the Just War debate. So it just was this crazy coincidental, I don't believe that, but time. And I'm just one last little interesting thing. That Sunday up in Boston, I was preaching my, what would be my last sermon ever in that new church that we had started. And I was back up in Boston. So they had me preach and the, the title, the, 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 the uh, chapter they gave me, they were going to doing the Daniel series was Daniel chapter, is it three? And which is all about the kingdom of God. So it was all about the dream and, and, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream and everything and Daniel interpreting it and all that kind of stuff. And he was going to kill the, the wise men and Daniel told him not to. So that was my assignment for preaching on Sunday. And then Friday night, I'm just about to go to Faneuil Hall which historic is one of the biggest debate areas in all of Boston historical place. And I'm just about to leave and I'm studying through the, the early church and I'm studying through my Daniel concordance. And I have this epiphany moment that the entire crux of Daniel's book and maybe even the Bible, because Daniel three is kind of this, um, it's got this funny way of set up here. The whole crux of it was that there's a kingdom of man that's going to crumble. And there's a kingdom of God that's eternal and we should try to live as if we're citizens of the kingdom of God, not like citizens of this world. Hmm. Nothing rocket science here, but I go to the debate and that was the entire theme the entire night. So here I am like shaking with like zeal because I'm doing the sermon on Sunday and the whole debate is about that because they were talking about, is it just for Christians to go to war if it's corporate for the name of God and, and man and the country versus no, it is, it's not okay. And that's, and so for the first time I saw the early church lived out there, sorry to be so long winded, but it was kind of a monumental moment for me. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. What, what were some of those initial, you know, anti-Nicene writings that you came across that began to kind of shift or challenge your Christian worldview? Oh yeah. Well, 
the, the church that I had joined back up in when I was making a comeback to God in 2012 was the same church that I left years earlier. And, and, and I was, it was a very world world centric church, meaning like they would have big Super Bowl parties, just like the world. They would have a big Halloween party with all the singles. They would, you know, I mean, it's stuff that, you know, trunk or treat stuff. I mean, things that are very pure hearted in most churches. And I don't want to get all nitpicky on, sure. you know, this, this time, but you know what I mean? There's some groups that just really would never do that stuff because they just feel like it's paying homage to the world and it's part of the world system. And then there's other groups that are like, no, we should be just like the world to try to win the world in a way, like be all things to all men. Right. Well, the church I was in definitely was more in that all things to all men, worldly thing, look like them, dress like them, act like them, but just don't get drunk like them. Don't swear like them. So I would preach sermons on Super Bowl weekend, for instance, because I wasn't going to watch the game and they were all watching the game. And I would be reading um, early church writings about going to the theater. And, mm. you know, um, I forget exactly who said it at this point, but I'm sorry, I'm a little rusty on these guys now. But, um, you know, it was like basically we we give more, if we gave just a little bit of attention to these to God, the way we do these celebrations, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're wasting. Yeah. Tertullian. That's right. Like we're, we're going to these events and we're wasting so much energy and we're listening to theater and we're getting emotions that aren't real, you know? And so mm. it just started rocking me, man. And I'm like, why are we have, I don't want to watch TV. Like, so I didn't get a TV when I moved to Texas and I, I just, you know, all these different things, um, or some of the other stuff. I don't know, like demon possession. We were looking at some of that stuff. And, mm. and you know, and, and so then after the just war, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I started studying divorce and remarriage as well because uh, the, my wife's church at the time was was very much on the um, the understanding that, you know, if there was adultery involved, then it's okay to remarry. And I was in, in my church, which was the same kind of chass, chassis as her church because they all came from the same Church of Christ group. Um, they believed that too. And so they were like pushing me to go date this girl in the church I was in. She lived out in LA and she just went through a divorce. And so they had us like doing speaking engagements together in LA to all these leaders. And like, they were definitely trying to set us up. And I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with a new person. I'm still married. I don't want to, I'm not ready to move on or any of that stuff. I, you know, and so I started studying in depth uh, about anything I could find on divorce remarriage. And that really, really rocked my world in a good way and really kind of put in bedrock some of those convictions now about that stuff. Mm. You know, so. I, when, when I first started getting into the anti-Nicene writings, I, I realized so, so often things that I had preached forcefully were not things that they had preached or they were like the, they were in opposition what the early Big church time. preached and <laughs> it was it was really like a grieving process for me uh -huh. because i almost and it was kind of overwhelming like i need to go like apologize to the people i've taught you know like mm. all these different this mix of emotions maybe some like denial as well like yeah. no, this, this can't be true this can't be right and almost trying to argue against these like early disciples big uh, time yeah man like um in the issue of salvation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I grew up at Southern Baptist. And so oh, wow. like, once saved, always saved is, 
if you preach anything other than that, like you must be in oh, a yeah. cult, you know, yeah. that, that right. kind of stuff. And then I realized like everybody that talked about it from, from in, in the anti-Nicene crowd, like they all believed that once saved, always saved is not true. <laughs> I mean, they definitely yeah. believe in like security for the believer, sure, sure. but, um, and they weren't living fear-based, but they yeah. definitely did not believe once saved, always saved. And I remember talking to uh, someone that I was in a band with for a while about that and describing how it was really like the Gnostics mm-hmm. who, who believed like once saved, always saved back then. And, and like they came to me and, and these, this was a really smart person. And, and, and the person was like, well, don't you think the Gnostics could have been right on this subject? <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe, but uh, yeah, I mean, not more right than, yeah. Yeah, I mean, John says that they have the spirit of the Antichrist, these, you know, docetists, mm-hmm. you know, so how could yep. someone like that be right, you know, yeah. when these people who have the Holy Spirit and were personally discipled by Jesus wrote these yeah. things? So. I don't know. It was, it was a really grieving for me and I've seen it in other folks. Did you experience any kind of grieving process for you studying these writings? And if so, like what, what did that look like for you? Yeah. You know, for me, I kind of feel like it was very, um, very much like within the progression of my journey, you know, like Mm. I, I became very aware that God releases, um, wisdom to those who are truly seeking it, you know, and, Mm. and, and it's, it's not like to get prideful or arrogant on that. It's just to be, humbled and gracious when, when you seek with all your heart, God reveals these things to you that are, you know, like for the, for the ears of babes, I think, you know, it's a, it's like the, the most simplest people could understand these things. And, and when I, at a point in my life had sort of everything stripped away from me and was sort of on my back and I had nowhere else to go, but to God emotionally, cause I was so broken with my wife leaving and not having my children around. They were four and five at the time. And I'd only see him like once a month or once every two months. I mean, it was like the worst, most devastating pain of being away from all them and then being broke, not having any money to be able to just go see them or buy move to Austin. I didn't have the ability to just up and move. I had some financial situations in my past, so I couldn't just leave and start working at a new company. So, I mean, I think the devastating, this devastation for me was these new convictions I was getting only made the di- this, the narrative that I was like this crazy guy that much worse, you know, like, mm. the, you know, if someone leaves you and they want to start a new life, they're going to kind of say certain things about you. And then all of a sudden, like you, you know, you're, you're, you don't want to wear shorts when you go to the water because you, you know, you want to be modest and you don't want your kids wearing short shorts and you don't want, you know, um, you, you, you don't have a TV anymore and you're not going to movies all the time. Like that just, just fueled all the people around me's opinion of me. Like, Oh wow. He's really not only gone like religious, but now he's like super, um, Mm. judgmental and like, you know, he's got this and it's like, you just got blamed or um, pigeonholed as this judging graceless person. And I'm like, I, it couldn't be the more the opposite. Like I'm broken and humbled and I'm simply just trying to live out these teachings and it it really did hurt man to see people use those as as reasons to push away even further i mean you know leave it to the lord to go through everything he went through to be able to relate with us in every way because i mean it, it was very devastating and to this day man it really it can be tough you know and uh but yeah i would say a lot of those things that i read were it um 
at the same time I say all that, the, the devastation of being like alone and, and sort of isolated, it was also glorious and magnificent, Phil, mm-hmm. like to be revealed of the, some of these truths and to understand these, these true wisdom um, convictions and really save me from making bad mistakes. Cause I mean, bro, I, I gotta be honest. I was literally on the cusp of moving to LA, leading a church out there of hundreds of people, probably ending up with a girl. Uh, I mean, I was, I was like in that space mm. when I started reading these teachings and being like, wait a second, I don't know about that. And then right after the Berceau weekend, I stayed in Boston for another week, hung out with the followers of the way stayed there one more week and and then I just moved to Austin. And I remember the falls away, Finney Curviller and those guys being like, where are you going to live? I'm like, I don't know. I literally don't know. I just drove, I took a flight to Dallas, got my stuff in a rental car, a backpack full of things and just moved to Austin. And uh, I just felt so empowered by the faith I got from those early church writers in the Bible that bringing it to life again, that I knew that God would take care of me and he did, you know? Mm. So, but yeah, Long-winded man. answers, yeah. Sorry. No, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome, man. I mean, clearly these these writings have have changed the way you make decisions. They've changed the way you live. They changed the way you interact with money. They changed the way you you interact with like free time. H- how have these anti-Nicene writings changed the way you read the Bible? Well, I just i I've realized quite simply that there's um, there's another set of witnesses now. And, and that kind of shuts the door on a lot of excuses. Like when you're reading the Bible and you're like, well, you know, that's just in the time of Corinth or that was just with the Jews and Jesus. And then Jesus died. And now there's a whole, like, it just, it takes away a lot of the excuses because you can cross reference hmm. a lot of the, Jesus's writings in the church, early, you know, Bible's writings with the early church. And you can see, well, let's see how the guys that spoke the same language lived in the same regions you know, we're discipled by guys that knew Jesus. Like, yeah. let's see how they treated these different topics. And so it, um, I think it just kind of encouraged me a lot to know that these guys were right there and they were backing up a lot of these teachings. So it didn't make it that hard for me to want to follow them. Um, at least on the major ones, like not serving in the military or, or really even voting or any of that kind of stuff, which I don't, haven't done that for years. Um, and, uh, divorce, remarriage, and then, um, uh, modesty and things like that. Uh, but, um, you know, and some of the things that are out of my control, like I would love to homeschool. I mean, the Bible says no teacher when they're fully raised up will be greater than their, no student will be greater than their teacher. And I, you know, I'd love my children to be homeschooled and like I used to with them for a year, but it's just not able to right now with the divorce and things. So there's a lot of stuff that I have to like, I'm kind of toggling in the world right now, Phil, probably more than I have in a while with the company and that we have now. And, but I'm, you know, making ends meet and all that kind of stuff with, you know, so it's, it's just an interesting time, but yeah, I would say that, man, it just brought to life a lot of the scripture that I feel like was very finite. Like the Bible doesn't go into depth about serving in the military, but the early church does, you know, and they go into a lot more description about why or why not they would allow that. So, and, and it gives more rationale and logic behind the teachings, I think, to uh, bring a little more color to it. Yeah, man. Um, you know, this, this isn't something that I plan to ask you, but it was just coming to my mind right now. Cause I have these kind of discussions a lot and often I'll write, uh, run into some really knowledgeable and learned people. And, um, maybe they're familiar with some of the anti-Nicene writings, but they may say, say something like, well, you, you don't think they're inspired, right? So like, mm. 
don't you think we've gained more understanding of the Bible now in all of our study and all the information that we have at our <laughs> fingertips now than, than they have back then? You know, yeah, they, they got some things right. But don't you think, you know, maybe we have a little bit better understanding now? What would you say to someone <laughs> that was saying that? Yeah, I mean, I would say we are so much further away from understanding than they were. You know, it's like, I mean, I'll tell you, I, two months ago, I had my iPhone X stolen up in Dallas. I was on a trip with some family up there and turned around. My phone was missing. And I've been on a flip phone for the last two months. So I, I have a flip <laughs> phone now, no more smartphone. And, and I'll tell you, like that little tiny change itself, I've done three paintings since then. I haven't painted three paintings in two months in probably 10 years. You know what mm. I mean? So I've done a bunch of paintings. I've read a few books. I, I'm more in tune. I'm, I'm a little more connected with my children. I don't know. And so like, I feel that the early church, they didn't have all the distractions that we had to take us away from the spirit and from the wisdom that was there and the light and the simplicity of that time. Hmm. Um, now, that being said, they didn't have encyclopedias, cross-references and Google and things. But I think, you know, um, uh, Enoch talks about this, you know, the fallen angels, I think in chapter eight, how they taught mm -hmm. the writing, the writing of many books and all that stuff. Like, I, I think all this wisdom we have today, man, it's, it's our knowledge, really. It's just knowledge, man. And it, it's distracting. So yeah, it's tough to make a scientific argument that we don't have more proof now than they did back then. But I think just from a pure rationale, logical standpoint, I mean, they were right there. They were like first source folks, and uh, yes, they might have been limited a little bit, and they probably—I don't—I wouldn't say inspired. I mean, I would say inspired, but just not needed in the canon to be complete. That's how I would look at that, as along with Enoch. But I think anyone seeking God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think He reveals those things and sort of opens up those new chapters for people to get more conviction and more help with some of these deeper truths, like with in my case with divorce, remarriage. Because had I not been seeking with all my heart, I probably would have followed my flesh. And I would have gone where my physical body wanted, which was a younger, beautiful woman to tell me I'm awesome and, you know, start a ministry with and, you know, train for China or whatever we were going to do back then. But uh, I was listening more with the spirit because I was so excited to learn, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I don't know if that answers it, but I hear that sometimes, too. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. I think if you try following what they taught and you, and you match it with the gospel, I think it's proof is in the pudding, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, if if you were talking with a Christian who had never encountered any of the anti-Nicene writings, and maybe they're hearing this and they're like, anti what? <laughs> you know, what? Against yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. What, what would you encourage someone like that to read first from from their writings and why? Yeah, that's a good question. I would probably start with the um, with like Polycarp and Justin Martyr, like those writings. Um and then I, I thought the Hermes, and I know you did like a blog post a long time ago on that. It was like 2015 or something, a while ago on Hermes, a little one. But uh, I think Shepherd of Hermes was pretty powerful. And um, I, I think it's just uh, kind of a, a incredible dialogue and it covers a lot of ground. It covers things about modesty, uh, almsgiving, which would be the real version of giving our possessions away, not just the 10% tithe that most churches try to get their members to uh, pay their dues, but uh, really almsgiving, giving away, um, modesty talks about, you know, vir the virgins. And at one point, Hermes looked at her and, and it came back to like rebuke her. It's like, so I think that book covers a lot, but I think Justin's writings are amazing. Um, I, I'd encourage them to read um, 
the also the martyr's mirror i think that's an incredible book and you read just the beginning of that talking through the apostles and how they all died and then you talk through like some of the early church guys that were also martyrs and then you cross-reference them with some of the anti-nicene book and you read some of their writings man it just brings it to life that they were real people that still died for jesus even though they didn't know him personally yeah man (laughs) i remember uh talking about uh ignatius's martyrdom some of his his letters Uh, and how he was just like bring (laughs) on the lions yeah don't don't try to get in my way and if the lions are are (laughs) like timid or whatever i'm gonna strike them and you know (laughs) and yell at them because he saw that as like the perfection of of being a disciple that's like Uh the completion of it and that's so contrary to the way we think now you know like we think uh, we pray that we're so thankful that God's allowed us to be in a country where we're not facing persecution. And to a degree, I'm like, I'm glad too, in one sense, but in another sense, I'm like, well, that's not something that Irenaeus would pray or not Irenaeus, Ignatius, you know, like that's, that's so different, but we come into the world with such a, an upside down worldview, you know, and Jesus's worldview is right side up, but it seems so foreign and weird to us. It's hard to accept. We've been so coddled, man. You know, I, I was, uh, when I studied out the topic of divorce, remarriage in depth, you come across the 1503, you know, Erasmus and those guys, and they really did such a bang up job twisting the word of God when that reformation time and the, the Bible first came open to all these, you know, the, the common man a little bit more. And I mean, between Erasmus, Luther and, uh, Calvin, they really, really, ushered in this kind of, for the first time, sort of like this, um, you should do what makes you peaceful and rather than what glorifies God, like, you know, overarching, I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of simplifying it, but like, even with the issue of divorce and remarriage, Erasmus wrote this whole thing about, um, you know, essentially like your, and Luther took this even further and Calvin took it even further, but like, essentially like when you die spiritually, it's kind of like in the Old Testament. If you committed a, if you committed adultery, you'd be dead physically because you'd be killed. Well, you're kind of dead spiritually now. And if you're dead spiritually, the innocent party is then free to go remarry because you're dead, like Romans seven talks about. And and marriage saves you because that's a you know an ordinance that saves you back then, one of the rights or whatever in the in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So now, doesn't God want all men to be saved? And like it was just this whole like crazy justification for doing these things. And now 600 years later, people are getting divorced for, you know, burnt toast and, you know, whatever they want. Um, it's just amazing how much that messed it up, you know? Wow. Yeah, yeah. man. I mean, it, it kind of has a bit of a Gnostic flair to it, you know, like the Big matter time. is evil, you know, so just oh, do yeah. what you want, you know? Yep. Yep. For sure. And like, be good and love and and, then, and there's a lot of that that is true, but man, like you see the church today and they've just taken that so far where it's confusing. It's a confusing time. People don't know who to, if they should accept people. I think certain vaccines have caused certain mutations in people's bodies that have caused this, mm. you know, physical mutations. I don't want to get too into that stuff, but I think there's this whole movement of, uh, uh, physical people don't know what they are anymore. If they're a guy or a girl and there's mm. all sorts of weird hormones in them and who knows if that probably could come from vaccines. And then they get this whole philosophical thing in the media saying that it's okay to be gay. And, and it's just confusing people in the church, you know? And um, yeah, again, not making a stance on that during this call here. I, I have many gay friends, but I also believe what the Bible says that it is a, 
you know, it, it's just, it's yeah, just a crazy sure. time. It's more of a comfort time now than it is a conviction time like back then. So you're, you're absolutely right, man. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Paul, Paul talked about that, right? I mean, he said people would in the last days would be lovers of selves, right? Big time. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Inventing ways to be evil and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's true. We see it. Your last episode on the fallen angels, man. I mean, who knows these manifestations, these people are bringing in with certain, you know, events going on around the world and people sort of finding themselves at these massive three day events and, and you mm. thinking they're so fulfilled and they've so enlightened. And yet the, you know, the, the God of this world is very deceiving, very mm. crafty in the way he manipulates people. It's, it's a, it's a very, very interesting time right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, um, right. One of the things you've been saying throughout this interview is we're kind of bringing it to to a close. You've been sure. saying about uh, like how important it is to to really seek God earnestly, mm. right? Seek Him with all your heart, and you'll find Him. And uh, I think it's like in Psalm one forty six where it says like God is near to those to those who who call on Him in truth, mm. right? It's not just calling Him, but like with sincerity and really seeking Him. That's when yeah. that's when He'll reveal Himself. So that's like incredible advice that you've been given. Like what if you're going to give like one one last bit of advice to leave the listeners with? Like what what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think would it would really be start with a clean slate. You know, like really really be willing to like stand naked. Like the Bible says, like totally just blank before God, you know, I mean, it doesn't necessarily say stand naked, but I mean like really unhindered, unfettered when you're reading through a lot of these, these teachings and when really allow our cognizant dissident, cognitive dissidents to like dissipate and go away because we all have these biases. We have a lot of things in our lives that we have a hard time letting go of for occupation reasons, reputation reasons. And I think, um, at some point, a lot of those things are going to get stripped away anyway, and will be a lot easier for us to seek God. Uh, maybe, you know, or it won't like if the world continues the way it's going here and it just gets more and more comfortable and we become more and more on this one world peace religion thing that's ushering in right now, Mm. we may not even notice how harsh the world is, or in some countries, you lose everything and then you're sort of forced to seek after the, the great creator, the great provider. But I think just what helped me the most was keeping a very blank slate when I was reading and rereading and listening to a lot of Brousseau's teachings. All his DVDs are on YouTube now and mm. you can listen to like the uh, the Kingdom of God one yeah. was really awesome. Uh, the Two Kingdoms, that was another really good. I'd start with those and just kind of listen and take them in and <laughs> weigh them out, you know? Yeah. Man, that's really good. That's really good. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show, being willing to to speak about your life, your story, and how God has really changed your story um, in a way that glorifies him so powerfully. Oh, it's helping so thanks, many Phil. People, man. Creator, 